Hi, I'm uh, Cindy Maurer, and you're tuned in to the Backyard Pet Talk with Shannon Coiner podcast. Hi, Cindy. It was so good to see you again. And some of our listeners may have already heard you talking about being a dog physical therapist, but today we have a whole nother subject about talking about the dangers of collars, choke chains, pinch collars, but also just regular collars. And I can't wait to hear what you have to say about this, all of this topic. Now, could you just remind everybody in case they didn't hear the other podcast, or if they don't remember a little bit about your background and like, you know, how you got to what you do now with, um, as a dog physical therapist. I've been a physical therapist for over 40 years now. And so uh, today the base um, baseline education for a physical therapist is to have a doctorate degree. So I have a doctorate degree in physical therapy and in human therapy, I'm consider- I'm a board certified orthopedic clinical specialist. And so I pursued getting a certification as a canine rehab practitioner through the University of Tennessee. Uh, their veterinary medicine program and their physical therapy program collaborated to write this curriculum. And so once you do all of the courses and you do some hands-on time and you do some internship and you write some case studies and you take two challenging tests, (laughs) then you are actually certified to uh, do physical rehabilitation and therapy on canines. They also have an equine certification too through the University of Tennessee, but mine is just purely for canines. And my intention with getting this certification was to be of help and service to our companion animals, our cats and dogs, you know, really help with some of the musculoskeletal health conditions and neurological health conditions that we commonly see. I personally think are preventable and manageable if we just had some education around these subjects. For sure, for sure. And that's what I'm super excited about our topic today, because it is so common, especially if people have been training dogs for years and years, they did when they were kids or whatever of, you know, it's, it's a, it's a first go-to of, to use choke chains, pinch collars, you know, some kind of, you know, collar and even a flat collar can cause damage. But when we're training our dogs, you know, so many people go straight to that pinch or that choke, you know, even some veterinarians, that's the first they'll sit. I have clients who say, well, my vet told me to get a choke or a pinch, or you go to a pet store and you say, gosh, I have this wild dog. What can I do? And then there's just not a lot of education around what those collars are actually doing physiologically. You know, those of us who are positive trainers, we know that it's causing pain and that's what's avoiding, but there's so much more to it than just that emotional part or that, that pain. There's actually some structural damage that can happen, right? Absolutely. Yes. Well, the dog's neck is a very sensitive area. So if you can just imagine your own neck, so you just kind of go down below your jaw and, you know, behind your ears until you sort of hit your collarbone, that's really all of the cervical spine area. And same with the the dogs. And in this very small area of the dog, they have a lot of sensitive tissues and structures that with repeated stress and pressure from the collar, they can learn to lead to long-term medical 
issues. They can damage the cervical vertebra, which there are seven there in the nag, much like a whiplash injury in a, in a human. They can cause the trachea, which is just, you know, right under the uh, chin there, the jaw area. They can cause damage to those little cartilages in the trachea or actually cause the trachea to collapse. And that's your windpipe. It can also cause injury to the thyroid. Your thyroid and your mandibular glands are in there and you have some vessels. Your major vessels that supply blood to the brain are coming right up the front of the neck there. And they're very superficial or what we call close to the surface. There's even lymph nodes in the neck there. So this is a sensitive region of structures, the cervical lymph nodes and the thyroid gland, the trachea, as I said, and the larynx. And then these muscles that control the opening and the closing of the larynx. And so that function of that is to keep food or water from, you know, getting into the lungs. The, the muscles need to close the little flaps and keep that closed when we're, we're eating or drinking. And there's a, there's a particular nerve that is in this region that supplies the muscles that um, control the larynx. It's called the lateral recurring um, laryngeal nerve. And that, when it becomes, has compression on it or trauma to it, it could even happen in a, a bite. Sometimes, Sometimes there's damage to that nerve from genetics or congenital conditions or like a cervical mass. But even the, the pressure from a collar, the pulling pressure on the front of the neck could also be a potential cause of this very concerning health condition called laryngeal paralysis in the dog. Obviously, that I find that very compelling. The fact that there's so much in that short, small area. So you've got a trachea, you've got the esophagus, you've got nerves, you've got muscles, you've got the thyroid, you have, you know, blood vessels. I mean, you have so many things there already. So me personally, I already find that very compelling. But what is there, have you seen any studies or any information out there that has actually looked at this, you know, because as a vet tech, you know, 25 years ago, we didn't really pay attention, but I know now I'm seeing more and more studies that people are doing our vets and are doing necropsies. So they're opening up an, a dog after they've passed and mm -hmm. really looking at the structural damage of these things. So I know that there's more people are starting to become more aware and looking into what really happens when we wear those, when they put those collars on, but have you found some studies that really help us understand this? Yeah, well, there, I, I did have a look and see, and there are a few. There's a very good study that was done by some canine scientists out of Nottingham Trent University, and they looked at the potential impact of pulling on the lead and related neck pressure while using a variety of collar types and styles. And if the dogs pulled, there was just a pull, 40 Newton pounds of pressure. And if there was a strong pull, they found that there was 70 Newton pounds of pressure and a jerk like you um, maybe talked about earlier in some of those sort of um, archaic training styles where you give a, a correction to the neck, that was 141 um, pound, Newton, Newton uh, uh, force of pressure pressure um, was recorded on the contact area of the neck and the collar. So they really found that all collar types and styles that were tested, even those that were padded or the wide fitting ones that you sometimes see, the pressure exerted on the model of the neck would be sufficient to cause 
injury to the dog. So no collar that they tested provided a pressure considered to be low enough to reduce the risk of injury when pulling on the lead. So they, you know, they really felt like there really isn't a safe collar and lead jerks can happen when the dog is on an extendable lead, like, you know, those retractable leads and all of a sudden they get a fast stop and a jerk. Um, it can happen if the dog lunges um, or like I said, some of the archaic sort of training methods of using a choke collar um, to give a correction. The, the researchers argued that all collar types pose the same risk. Mm -hmm. So that was very interesting that dogs should be trained to walk on a loose lead without pulling or walked using a harness, which applies no pressure to the neck at all. So that's really what the current science is, is telling us. They advise that the collar should be used only as a means of identification for your dog, not as a means of controlling your dog. So just to kind of put this in perspective, that we said that, you know, when the dog had the, just the pressure on the neck of a pull, so 40 Newtons equals 10 pounds. Mm -hmm. Okay. 70 Newtons, when there was a stronger pull, that equals 15 pounds and 141 Newtons of force, which was the jerk is actually 32 pounds of pressure wow. on that little tiny area. And I just want to like stop for a second. Cause I don't think people can like, like think about that, like 10 pounds to 30 pounds, but that would be like, if you got a weight, you know, maybe you got her ankle weights or wrist weights, you know, and you put 10 pounds around your neck, like you're laying on your back and there's 10 pounds yeah. just laying on your throat. You yeah. Know, like, I mean, it's uncomfortable for people to wear a collar, you know, a high collar sometimes or a turtleneck. A Think turtleneck about a turtleneck. <laughs> is uncomfortable. Or you wear like a tight necklace. Like I'm always pulling at mine if I have something too tight around my neck. And that's just cloth. I mean, you know, that's not 10 yeah. pounds, but if you think about how much pressure it is, you know, with 30 pounds and I'm, I'm thinking about dogs who, you know, yeah, you've got the pops, which is, is a direct pass, you know, forceful pressure, but those dogs who do wear a choke chain are, they're just pulling the whole time. So they're on their, their walk, you know, 30 pounds, potentially of pressure. If they're pulling really hard, they're a strong breed. And those people maybe walk them three times a day. Like that's a lot of pressure on your neck and, and, and our dogs are so stoic. I mean, that's one thing about a lot of dogs there, their pain tolerance is so high that you can't just look at them and say, oh, this, you have to, you have to understand that they're going to sometimes not show pain, but there still could be in pain and you're causing damage. Like there's so much damage that's being done under the skin. Well, and it's interesting, exactly, because you can't see what's happening under there. But yet often, I think that pet owners may not be aware of some of the signs of tracheal injury, which are that increased respiration or the panting or what we call strider, where you hear kind of a different breath sound. And what does it sound when a dog is pulling on a choke collar? <laughs> Sounds like strider to me. Exactly. You know. <laughs> So, sure. and so you, yeah. And you can also, you know, just through the pressure on the vessels, you now can change the blood supply to the brain and, you know, other things can start to happen. And, you know, they correlated, they've talked about the correlation between that kind of prolonged pressure over time 
on like the thyroid gland or your lymph nodes that are in this area. And then the potential for hypothyroidism. And then that, you know, sequelae of events that, you know, when we have a depressed immune system, which is the case with hypothyroidism, we're more susceptible to other health conditions that are more sinister, including cancer for our dogs. And so if, you know, if a kind of a, a global look at this, if we could just make a choice between a collar and a harness, and we might be able to prevent some long-term medical issues that could become horrifically expensive in the case of laryngeal paralysis or cancer or something else that could be correlated indirectly to having, like you said, 30 pounds of pressure on your throat Mm -hmm. for 30 minutes or 40 minutes, two or three times a day. Yeah, a lot. And so you just alluded to something I was going to ask you about more. What are some other things that we are seeing when dogs have that over a constant, even it could just be one time, but multiple over and over trauma to the neck, you know, whether it's with the collar, flat collar, whether it's a choke chain, a pinch collar, or some other kind of device on their neck. What are some of those other like injuries that we see? Maybe, maybe you don't see it when they're a puppy. Maybe, you know, they're you know, the two-year-old puppy that they're, that you're, oh, I don't notice anything, but then fast forward to, you know, they're the 10, 12, 15-year-old dog. What are some of those healthy things that start to show up that probably are very likely because of the collar that was used? Yes. Well, there is, you know, with the laryngeal paralysis, there is a geriatric polyneuropathy that's associated with that. It's kind of a funny anatomy in the neck of the dog, but with that recurrent laryngeal nerve, it indirectly also controls the motor control or the movement to the hind limbs. And so in these older dogs, we're seeing the laryngeal paralysis, but we also see what we call polyneuropathy, which really means weakness in the hind limbs. And so then we start to think about what, you know, what's the number one reason that we're usually euthanizing our senior dogs because they can't walk anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think that the people aren't always putting two and two together with this health condition because these two things are very closely associated with the laryngeal paralysis where they'll start to have exercise intolerance, where they can't go as much as they used to. They're gonna pant more. They're intolerant to the heat. You might even see them coughing or straining. And in the very you know worst cases, they, they because of the lack of blood flow, they get cyanotic or um, are not showing, they could collapse mm-hmm. um, these kinds of things. And so- It is. That's a, really scary. And, um, and I'm going to later, I'm going to have you tell your story, but that just reminds me of, you know, my first lab that I trained, you know, as a teenager, I was, you know, forced, I, they wanted me to use a pinch, but I did not, I wouldn't use that, but I used a choke because I didn't have any, that's all they did. This was in the nineties, you know, that's all that. And I was a teenager. I was listening. I didn't like it even then, but Mm -hmm. you know, we used it. I trained my lab Missy to be off leash as soon as possible. So I worked really hard so that I wouldn't be reliant. No one needed any kind of collar on her. And she just walked off leash most of the places with me or a really loose leash. But fast forward, I go to college. I'm in, I'm married. I'm in college. I'm a vet tech. And my mom is calling me because she had taken her on a walk, you know, no pulling anymore. She was at the park and she passed out at the park and she was a huge lab, you know, 70, 80 pound lab. And my mom couldn't 
pick her up and she thought she was going to die at the park. And then when she passed out, her she was able to relax enough and her nervous system opened up her her um, throat, but she ended up going to the doctor and she had laryngeal paralysis, you know, and then later on she had neck injuries, which, you know, I've had to kind of overcome my own guilt about this, but she had cervical neck injury. And then in the end, what they ended up, my parents had to make the decision of putting her to sleep was because they, she wouldn't get, couldn't get up anymore. They had the sling, you know, we did, they did all the stuff and it's so, I mean, I was a teenager. I can't, you know, that was 30 years ago. You know, I can't <laughs> beat myself right. up over that, but it makes it why I'm so compelled to get this information out to people. So what are some other injuries that can happen? So laryngeal paralysis is terrible, but what are some other things? Well, you mentioned whiplash, and I think that's very underplayed in the dog and how often the dog can have, I mean, you think about if, if any, anybody's really experienced a whiplash injury and how painful that is, but like you said, the dogs are very stoic and they're happy to please us, or there's a lot of adrenaline going on when things are happening, like the ball comes out or something else. And so there's actually, they can actually, you know, injure and strain these muscles in their neck and they can actually injure the vertebral discs in their neck as well, which can lead to a condition that is a more degenerative condition in the cervical spine spondylosis. And again, that's a condition that can cause compression on the nerves that actually innervate the forelimbs and the hind limbs in the dogs. And so now you, again, you, you have a health condition where the dog isn't able to be uh, mobile because of maybe some constant repetitive low-grade trauma. I mean, why would a dog have a cervical disc injury? For goodness sakes, they're not, they're not hitting their heads generally. Yes. They're not like in a car and getting an accident generally. But why are we seeing so much of us? you know, in our, in our dogs. And <laughs> we might want to think about what kind of force we're putting on those necks all the time on a regular basis, if we're out walking those dogs. For yeah. sure. And something I um, wanted to ask you when we were talking about the laryngeal paralysis. So we, um, before we started our podcast, you and I talked about this, but so this can happen from trauma, obviously, but you had mentioned, which was something I'd actually didn't know that there were some breeds that are predisposed to having laryngeal paralysis anyway. So they already have the chance of that flap failing and causing it, you know, if both flaps fail, then they can stop being able to breathe. And if that both flaps fail open, then they can aspirate, um, right. you know, so it could be bad either way. They either get food or, or debris or water in their lungs, or they can't breathe. I mean, it's, neither is a good thing. So no. <laughs> what, um, could, what are some of the breeds that are Without any trauma, like they were just born, what is some that are some predisposed to this anyway? Right. So the so we you know we talked about those three kind of different reasons why a dog might get laryngeal paralysis. That health condition and genetics is one. Um, so the other would be the you know maybe like a cervical mass and then trauma. So the trauma is the thing that we're talking about. We can control obviously genetics. Um, we can't control that. And it's interesting that the very breeds that have a genetic predisposition, like our bully breeds, 
our German Shepherds, the Rottweiler, you know, some of the larger breeds that people want to control more, or even the Labradors, you know, our happy labs, they actually have a genetic predisposition to this health condition. And so if you then overlay this, you know, constant pressure on their neck, or if they've actually had a trauma to their neck. And, you know, so I think it, it could be a little bit of force over time, or it could be one kind of catastrophic jerk or event where the dog maybe does so, show some signs of tracheal injury or laryngeal injury right away after an episode that, you know, would be like the coughing or, um, you know, difficulty breathing, things like that. And that you show. had you know, some, you know, personal experience with this too. So my lab, I totally admit, and it kills me, but she had from time, I don't remember, she probably didn't start back then to train until she was six months old, just because we didn't understand socialization back in the nineties as well. She probably was from six months to two years, probably wore her choke chain every single day that I trained her, you know, so it's like chronic I didn't like to pull her hard. They asked me to use a pinch collar once. I tried it. She cried. I said, forget it. I'll never use that again. <laughs> so I probably had stopped using it. But I know, admittedly, because of what I was being told to do, she was probably corrected multiple times a day, every single day for at least a year and a half. Your situation, though, with your lab that you've experienced this, some of this is completely different. So share a little bit about Allie and how your experience and how this became part of your passion too. Well, it really did become a passion. I mean, Allie, we just lost Allie about six months ago. She was 12 and a half. So, you know, go back to 12 and a half, 13 years ago. And I very much um, wanted to train Allie. She very much showed me she wanted to be trained. And it, it was not easy to find a positive trainer even, you know, 13 years ago. So we did end up with one trainer who did put a choke collar on her. And like you, I was like, no, she already can do all these things without me doing that to her. So why would I do this? It makes no sense. So for a very brief period, and she was very, very young, there was a difference of opinion between myself and the other trainer in the house. And so I was throwing away the choke collars and they were coming back somehow. I don't know. And um, so this went on for, you know, maybe a couple of months. And uh, so she really didn't get a lot of repetitive you know, corrections over time because she verbally was so responsive at a very young age. And I was the primary handler for walking and for all training, but she ended up, you know, getting a CGC and was a therapy dog and a lovely therapy dog. Um, but she did have one episode, just one, where there was a fairly significant amount of trauma. She was with another handler and she saw me and was trying to get to me in a store. And rather than just letting the leash go, because she was also very good off leash, she didn't really need a leash at all. And so the handler was trying to hold her back and Allie was trying to get to me. So she was pulling forward and I was saying, let loose of the leash, just let her go. She won't go anywhere. And this, there was a good bit of time where this went on. And as soon as the leash was released, she literally started coughing and she probably coughed for two or three minutes. I mean, it was pretty pretty significant. And so in her later life, she ended up having a, 
what they call a dynamic collapsing trachea. So the trachea was injured, the cartilage was injured and it was collapsed. So she wasn't exchanging air. And so it really affected her ability to go on walks and do things she enjoyed it, it mostly because she would get out of breath. And I was pretty persistent about her care and, and, and the very, you know, end stage of her life. They, she did have laryngeal paralysis as well. Um, and so I, I feel like that one episode where her trachea was injured and that, you know, it took many years for that to really show up. I mean, and initially just started showing up probably in the last two years of her life, but it was very mechanical, which is the way I explained it to the veterinarian who um, agreed to x-ray that area and really look at it just because I was so persistent, but literally she would roll over on her back and start coughing. And I know the anatomy so well there. I was like, oh my Lord, her, her trachea is just falling back and she can't get air. And she's gagging and coughing to try to get air exchanged. And that's a horrible thing mm -hmm. to see your dog gagging and coughing to try to get air mm -hmm. to breathe. And of course, you know, I would just encourage her to turn over and that would reposition the cartilage and the trachea and she could get air and she'd be okay. I mean, I was very mindful about the way I managed all that. I'm not sure that all pet owners would uh, know to go into the vet and say, please x-ray this area because I think there's damage to my dog's trachea. And it's not GERD. It's, yes. <laughs> you know, it's a little more serious. And what can we do about it? And so, you know, once you get to this point, well, the answer to that question, what can we do about it? Yeah, for not sure. Not much at this point anymore. And chronic health condition that can be very serious and actually take your dog's life from you. You know, they can do for the laryngeal paralysis, they can do a little tie back, you know, and get the muscle to be where it's close, but your dog's never going in the water again. Yep. There's a lot of other complications. So if we think that these collars could be even a part of this picture in any way, mm -hmm. why wouldn't we just do the, do the best thing for our dogs and keep them with us as long as we can and fit them for a nice harness and get some good training. For sure. <laughs> I mean, that's what happened to Missy. Um, that was my lab. You know, I was a vet tech and, and that was even the, the tie back for the Laurendra paralysis was not as well known then. Um, so it was 20 something years ago. And um, I remember my mom calling me and said, you know, I was in Northern California. She's in Southern California. And, oh, she has this thing. And I don't, I, she, my mom was so petrified to take her on a walk again, that she might pass out. And at that time, their general practitioner said, there's nothing you can do. But I knew because as a vet tech, I'm like, that's not true. So I happened to be in surgery assisting a surgeon who was a board certified surgeon. And I said, hey, you know, this is happening with my dog that I grew up with. And then he was the one who said, no, they're surgeries. And then he got my parents hooked up with a surgeon. But she had to eat out of a raised bowl. She, we had to be careful. Like she couldn't swim in it. Yeah, yeah, all these things because we can take the risk of her aspirating because now the airway was open, but now she, it was her lungs were always exposed. Yes. Close. Yeah. So it's just held open. Now it won't close. So that little muscle needs to get things to go both ways. That's our natural anatomy, you know, for the, the animals. And um, so I think, you yeah. know, I think the more that we can educate the best way to prevent neck 
nerve injury, you know, disc injury, thyroid injury, is to get your dog into a properly fitted harness. And, exactly. and that you can just hopefully prevent anything like this from happening. And even, and this is something that's all about their health and their wellness. This has nothing to do with an opinion one way or another with training even. I mean, we're looking at this yeah. from the core of, we do all these things for, to keep our dogs healthy. We put them on, you know, arthritis joint supplements. We, we put them on all these supplements are so particular about what food we feed so that whole, you know, human grade food and, you know, we right. all these raw diets now and all these things we do to increase the longevity of our dogs' lives and to increase their well-being and to prevent cancer and to prevent diabetes. We keep them fit. We, you know, we do all these things and then putting on colors that actually could cause, like you said, not just the neck injury, but even hind limb weakness. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because if you you know, you even think about just that cervical spine and the how small really even in us and the, even more so a small dog, but mm -hmm. let's, let's take a big dog like a Rottweiler or a Labrador that has a predisposition genetically to this condition. And now we apply trauma on top of that. Well, we've probably just swayed, you know, the pendulum in the direction that we're probably going to see a dog that more than likely may have this health condition now that it maybe isn't a remote risk, but we've just increased the risks maybe because of our, you know, lack of knowledge in this exactly. area. And that's and what I'm hoping that this podcast, you know, you know, whatever your situation is, you know, like just knowing what you're doing best, just like if we were talking about the best food or the best supplements or which heartworms to get, you know, all the things we do as preventative medicine, this mm -hmm. should be actually part of preventative medicine education. So and that's what I'm hoping as people hear more, you know, about this and really understand that it's not necessary. I mean, and there's, we know now training wise, there's a gazillion other things. The harnesses are, you know, there's so many different harnesses. So it doesn't matter what your dog's body shape is anymore. There are, yes, there's not a one size fit all harness, but there are so many harnesses out there that you could figure out which one best fits your dog. And then yes. like we were talking about before, you know, our rib cage was designed to protect our heart and our lungs and our most vital organs. So it, it can sustain that distributed pressure more than our neck. Can. Exactly. Yes, exactly. And so we talk a lot about this in uh, human medicine with, you know, degeneration of joints. And we talk Talk about force across distance and pressure, you know, you know, per square inch, basically. So if you think about the distribution of force across the big long sternum in the dog, and their sternal joints are big. And like you said, that rib cage is expanding across the body. So you have the structure is you almost have like a vertebra in the front going linearly, and then you have these ribs going off to the sides. So the distribution of the pressure per square inch would be far less mm -hmm. across that rib cage than across the small little tiny area in the neck. And then if you even change, even though the study really didn't show that the collar type made any difference, that's kind of interesting because the flat collar was able to apply the same amount of force, but 
happen to know one could kind of argue if you had that metal piece of a prong you know that because it's a tiny uh, area a very small diameter and so the the amount of pressure per square inch would be significantly higher in that one spot yes um, and i've seen know, prong collars punctures through the skin before you know with oh, enough yeah. pressure those prong collars and you know, i've seen it where they've caused injury where it you know goes and actually punctures the skin. So if it's enough to puncture the skin, you know, right. there's got to be more power. And then the other thing, like with the choke chains, it's like a, it tightens with a flat collar, at least there's some more um, looseness. So I, I really hope they continue to do more studies. I do know that I'm seeing more and more necropsy results from different kinds of different universities about like, they'll open up a dog that's passed away and look at the anatomy and, and how it's damaged. And they're starting to make more, but, you know, studies, especially a good peer review study takes time, you know, because you have to oh, do, it, absolutely. do it and then that has to be reviewed and it has to be, you know, replicated. So hopefully over time, we're going to see more and more about like what the truth is about the damage that these callers are doing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even the harnesses, you know, you know, some probably are a little better than others uh, kind of thing. Some for larger dogs, some for smaller dogs. I mean, I have one that I like very much that I use because Hunter does nose work and it has a little like handle on the top, plus a yes. on the top. So I can hold him at a threshold before he starts his search. And, but I will say that you, you really do want to follow the instructions closely or get with your trainer or uh, many of them, like the, um, the, the blue nine, the balanced buckle harness that um, Karen Pryor recommends as well. They actually have a video on how to adjust that because interestingly, we have a dog in the neighborhood here who, who, who was, this dog was trained by Guide Dogs of America who have, I think, just stopped using the slip collars mm -hmm. just most recently and I have gone to a more positive training. And so he was trained um, and, and uh, he did not he came back to his puppy razor because um, the uh, individual that was um, going to have him as a guide dog could not do the course. It wasn't him. It was the, it was the individual. <laughs> so, um, and so I, we've been walking with him for nearly five years now. And um, so she eventually moved in the owner did to getting him an easy walk harness mm -hmm. um, to, you know, to take the pressure off the neck. So um, that wasn't an issue anymore. He did have some cervical issues, mm -hmm. um, which I pointed out to her. And um, so they, they fitted this easy walk, but it was kind of not fitted exactly right. And so your radial nerve, even in the dog comes from behind the shoulder. And all of a sudden, Eros is his front paw is kind of dragging when he's walking. He's making this, you know, he's not picking up his paw basically. And um, and so I said, well, gosh, you know, his his wrist extensors or his, you know, his tarsal extensors are um, actually rate, you know, innervated by the radial nerve. And I think his harness it's only on the one side. And so actually the harness was loose enough that when she would do a pull and he would pull, it would put pressure right there. And so we refitted actually him in a different harness and you know that foot that foot dragging stopped <laughs> so. for sure and I've seen I mean harness that's why I was saying there's no one size fits all for harnesses there's some that fit more that better you know different varieties but I have seen dogs be able to slip out of harnesses that are the wrong harness I have seen um you know, dogs, it, the harness slips because, uh, and it goes down too low to their forearm, you know, or to right. their, 
you know, so, so that's a huge piece. I mean, but at least it's taking the pressure off of the neck, but, but fitting a well-fit harness is definitely key as well. So, well, before we take off here, do you have any other things that you would like to share? I think you've given us such great information today. Well, I mean, I always think that, you know, walks are supposed to be pleasurable. I mean, that's your time to go out and bond with your dog and talk with your neighbors, get some fresh air. And I think that, you know, the walk is very pleasurable. If you have trained your dog to walk on a loose leash, it's, it is really a joyful time to spend with your dog. But if your dog, you know, isn't able to do that, I think that the harness is a good option, you know, for keeping you safe because you're arm isn't going to get pulled um, or injured. I mean, we see those people in physical therapy who got pulled by their dog, <laughs> or most importantly, hopefully you're going to prevent an injury to your beloved canine. Yeah, for sure. Uh, thank you so much. And um, I really appreciate you being on with us today. And, um, and then maybe we will see you again on another podcast. Yeah, sounds great. Thank you so much for spending time with me today.